Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about the Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in Placentia, California at the El Dorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Oh, look at people are in the middle here. Hey, we are so glad you are with us. Welcome uh, to Vox Christian Community. If, uh, if you were expecting Beauty and the Beast, that is later today. We've got the chandeliers, and you should see the castle behind stage. And uh, we, we were trying to, uh, I was going to wear the beast head uh, out, and someone said that would be redundant. So, um, so here I am. Here I am. Bring it on. Hey, we're so thrilled you're uh, with us. If uh, you want to find out more about our community, you can go to voxoc.com. Hey, uh, over here, guys. Over here. There's somebody over here. Right here, there's someone waving. Is that them? Are they going to want to sit down here? They're going to have to. Where do you want them to sit? Right here. Right here, you guys. Now listen, if you're going to sit that close, you've got to stay awake because I can see you. Back there, it's iffy. That's why that always crowds up first. All right, uh, so go to voxoc.com to find out more about us. We have something called a New to Vox Dinner that we do every month. Tell you a little bit about what's going on, and um, I think the the one in August. Um, I, I I don't think I think we've got a few more slots on that. Also, if you want to give us any feedback today, go to uh, feedback at voxoc.com, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. A um, couple of things about us. Number one, we believe the church should be the safest place to talk about anything and to wrestle through any issue. We also believe the church should be uh, a place that exists to love and serve the world. And as a result, we're quite comfortable with all kinds of folks coming to our community uh, who are in different stages and places. So if you want to stand when it's time to sing and you want to sing, fantastic. If you don't want to sing, that's great. If you want to take the Lord's Supper, you're welcome. If you don't want to take it, no one's counting. Uh, You have a great deal of permission. Uh, the only thing we ask you uh, to do is if you sleep, don't drool on the person next to you, all right? That's the, that's the big thing. Now, um, we are two months old, and uh, I know, we look fully grown. I know. And uh, I know. And, um, and so we're, we're, we, we are supported financially by a crew of people that are just outrageously generous and who bought into this thing very early. Uh, and we're getting close to almost being self-sustaining. We've had some churches come alongside us and help us, so we've got a bit of a buffer. And so we did something on faith that we're super excited about. I want to introduce you to Izzy. Izzy, come on out. This is Izzy. So uh, Izzy is, uh, if you've been here uh, the last couple of weeks or the last month or so, Izzy has been a guest worship leader. She is now our resident artist, and so she has said uh, hello. Now, a couple of things couple of things. Number one, she's 20. Uh, she's taken. Uh, thirdly, she, um, she is a recording artist, so she actually has albums, and, and it's very important that you spell her name correctly. It's not I-Z-Z-Y. It's I-Z-Z-I. And, and I haven't tried this at home, but evidently it's the same backwards and forwards, and you can flip it upside down, and it's still the same. It's just, it's magic. So that's Izzy. Say hello to Izzy. She's going to be leading us uh, in a few minutes. Thank you, Izzy. Thank you, Izzy. There you go. All right. Uh, We're meandering through um, some different snapshots of Jesus. And what we're doing is we're looking at different places where he's insulted. 
uh, as a way to kind of, I don't know, in a backward manner, get a glimpse of how radical this guy actually turned out to be. So um, I want to invite you, uh, if you have a Bible or a phone, go to John chapter 4. If you do not, we'll put everything up on the screen. And uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to read through this. It's a, it's a very long story, a very famous biblical story. Bill Pfeiffer, is that you? Hello. I was like, that, that looks like Bill. Say hello to Bill, ladies and gentlemen. Say hello to Bill. Hi, Bill. It's like, that, that mustache, I mean, it's, it's beautiful, the mustache. All right, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through this story very slowly and, and pick out some, some background stuff, and then we're going to talk about so what. So uh, there'll be a, it'll feel a bit backgroundy at first, uh, and, uh, and then we'll get to why this is such a huge deal. So there are four biographies of Jesus in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, they each emphasize different, Bruce, bless you, they each emphasize different aspects of the, the life and ministry of Jesus. They're written to slightly different audiences, and so in a great many ways they overlap, and in some ways they don't. This is one of those stories that only John has captured for us. Start in verse 3. So Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now I know... That just tells you everything you need to know, right? Verse 4. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, look at this verse right here. Now he had to go through Samaria. Nobody traveling the route he's going has to go through Samaria. This, this little word had turns out to be the hinge on which the whole passage rests. So, fire up the maps. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you maps. Oh, it worked! It worked! Bruce, we did it. Bruce. All right, now, do you see on the bottom, Judea? You see that on the bottom? That's where Jesus is. He's going up to the Galilee, that upper body of water. Do you see that? Now, there are two ways to go that direction. Okay, I mean, they're both north, but you can go north two separate ways. One is you can go the long way, and you see that little blue squiggly line that goes from the Dead Sea to the Sea of Galilee? That's the River Jordan, very famous in biblical history. You can go up that way. That's actually the longer way to get back up to where Jesus needs to go. Or you can take the shorter way through Samaria. Do you see Samaria there right in the middle? Now, no good, faithful Jewish rabbi would ever step foot in Samaria. Nobody ever had to go to Samaria. Even though it was the shorter route, why don't you give me the next map, Bruce? Even though it was the shorter route, people would go from Bethlehem and Bethany up Jericho and then up that middle, the, the middle, the River Jordan thing, instead of going straight up so, uh, to Samaria and through Samaria to where Jesus had to go. Now, I have to do five minutes of Here's why this is such a big deal, okay? Samaritans were ethnically offensive to Jews. There was a civil war in Israel generations before and that split into two kingdoms. Both disobedient to God, one more quickly than, than the other. The top one, the northern tribe, gets exiled uh, into Assyria in the 8th century. 
And, and they, they, they take the best and the brightest, the cream of the crop from Israel, and they leave kind of the riffraff behind. They also import non-Jewish people to populate this area. The riffraff from the Jews and the non-Jewish people begin to intermarry. And those are the Samaritans. So to the Jewish mind, these are mixed blood people. Harry Potter fans would call them mudbloods. <laughs> Correct? So, and you're like, we're quoting Harry Potter. Um, the, so the idea is ethnically, Jews hated Samaritans because they were mixed. They had, they had polluted the pure Jewish bloodlines by intermarrying with folks who'd been imported from non-Jewish lands. Make sense? Second way they were offensive is that they were religiously offensive because when the southern kingdom got brought into exile, when its turn came, they went to Babylon, and then 70 years later, some of them started coming back. The Samaritans that lived there claimed that they were the true ancestors of Father Abraham, the father of the Jews. They also claimed that Jerusalem was not the place where God should be worshipped, but their own mountain, a mountain called Mount Gerizim. They also did not acknowledge the complete Jewish Old Testament scriptures. They only acknowledged the first five books. So Jewish teachers hated them because the Samaritans taught that the Jews were blasphemers and they were false people of God and that they, the Samaritans, were the true people of God. And then lastly, there had actually been battles fought between them. Several hundred years before, Jews went to that Mount Gerizim and destroyed the Samaritan temple. The Samaritans retaliated five years or so before the birth of Jesus by the night before Passover, scattering dead bones over the altar in the holy place, which is, to the Jewish mind, anything dead makes anything unclean. So to have your temple on the, on the eve of the greatest festival defiled that way, I mean, just massive animosity. So fire up the insults. This is some later, nope, nope, next, uh, two more slides, Bruce. Next. No, go back one. That's back. There we go, there we go. All right, so this is later rabbinic writing, insulting Samaritans. This gives you a feel for how much the Samaritans were despised, all right? So, with two nations, my soul is vexed, and the third is no nation. That's speaking of uh, the Samaritans. Those who live on Mount Seir and the Philistines and the foolish people that dwell in Shechem, which, which was the capital of Samaria, all right? So they're not even considered a nation by other Jews. Or another rabbi said, he that eats the bread of Samaritans, nope, go back. He that eats the bread of Samaritans is like one who eats the flesh of pigs. Pigs were the most unclean animal. So, to share a meal with a Samaritan was the same as eating a pig, the most unclean animal in Jewish culture. Did, they, did these guys like each other? One more. Next slide, Bruce. The daughters of Samaria are deemed unclean as menstruants from their cradle. So, so in the Old Testament, I know this is super gross. Some of the boys are like, what's this word? <laughs> Ask your parents. So in the Old Testament, if you were um, on your monthly cycle, 
um, you were considered unclean. Now, that was not a moral judgment. That was, not, that was nothing other than whether or not you were fit ceremonially to go to the uh, temple and worship. There was no moral judgment attached to this. It was a very natural thing. But you were rendered unclean. So the insult is Samaritan women by birth are as unclean as Jewish women when they're on, the, on their monthly cycle. All right? so, so no one has to go through Samaria. In fact, there were some rabbis that taught if you set foot in that region, you yourself became unclean. Now, I know painful background, but here, here's the point. Jesus should never be where he ends up. No Jewish rabbi of this stature interested in maintaining ritual purity would ever have to go to Samaria. All right, back to John. You did it. You made background. You did it. You made it through. All right, now. Jesus left Judea, verse 3, went back once more to Galilee. So he's going north. He has two choices. The longer way, which is all the Jews chose that way or the shorter way through Samaria. And the text says he has to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob, a very famous Old Testament character, had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. This is a very famous well. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. Now, literally, he sat on the well. Jewish wells at that time had capstones, and what you had to do is you'd have a bag of leather and two cross sticks that would attach to that bag. And you actually had to lower your own sort of bag slash bowl down into the well to raise it up. Jesus, we just read in a second, his disciples had gone ahead. It was about noon, all right? So Jesus is sitting there. His disciples had gone ahead and they'd taken the, the bag slash bowl with them. So Jesus had no way to get a drink from the well. Now, this verse, oh my goodness. The Samar okay, verse 7. When a Samaritan, what? Came to draw water. Now, culturally, Jesus is at this well by himself, no witnesses. Culturally, in deference to a woman, and to be totally uh, avoiding the appearance of impropriety, what Jesus should have done is withdrawn 20 feet from the well. To say, A, it's safe to come, and secondly, it's proper. Now, how highly regarded were Samaritan women? Not highly. And the reason the text tells us the time of day this is happening is because no reputable woman would ever be drawing water in the middle of the day. So it'd be like in Palm Springs, in the middle of August, deciding that's when you're going to do all your housework without air conditioning. Right? Or you're going to go run your errands. I mean, you, you do everything you've got to do first thing in the morning or late in the evening. And what women would do is they would all travel together for safety and propriety. But secondly, the water, uh, the jars that the water uh, that women would use for their homes were heavy once full. And they would help each other lift the jars upon their heads. So the fact that she's here by herself and the fact that Jesus just sits there massively scandalous. I mean, we don't, it's like finding out that Billy Graham was hanging out at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> I kid you not, this is how ridiculous this scenario is. Jesus, when the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus doesn't leave. He looks at her and says, will you give me a drink? Now, 
Do Jews share jars with Samaritans? No. Do Jews talk to women? No. Fire up the slides, Bruce! And, and this is still held. When you go to Israel and you see Orthodox Jews, they're never talking to strange women, ever. They're not even making eye contact with women that are not, they're not married to or part of their family. Fire up the insult slides, the two before the other insult slides. Bruce, we were on fire. All right, so this is rabbinical writing from 100 years after Jesus. Talk not much. This is two Jewish men. Talk not much with womankind. They say this of a man's wife. How much more should you obey this with a fellow's wife? So even your own wife, don't talk much to her. And all the men said, okay, okay, okay. It's a biblical command. It's not in the Bible. But hence the sages, the teachers of wisdom have said, he that talks much with womankind brings evil upon himself. All right, so, so. A, you're not supposed, don't jab him, don't jab him. A, you're not supposed to be in Samaria. B, you are never, ever to be engaging culturally with a woman publicly where there are no witnesses. And C, not just any woman, a Samaritan woman. I mean, I just want you to get a glimpse of how, I mean, you're, if you're hearing this story, you're reading this story, none of this goes together. And the woman, Bruce, don't talk to her because I can see you talking. <laughs> What'd you say? So now it's like uh, Billy Graham back into the Philippines on the I'm not going to repeat that, Bruce. <laughs> when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And then, and then John add, adds this parenthetical comment. His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then notice this little parenthesis. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And, and, and the word here literally means the Jews do not share in common with Samaritans. So at, at a well with a Samaritan woman in Samaria, Offering to take a drink from whatever bowl or, or um, bag that she was going to use or jar she was going to use to draw water. Absolutely ridiculous. Jesus answered her. Now, Jesus, this guy is smooth. <laughs> so she insults him. She calls him a Jew. And the word she used isn't, isn't a, it's not a praiseworthy word. How can you, a male Jew, Talk to me, a woman, comma, a Samaritan woman. So she's emphasizing how ridiculous this is. Jesus, coy, coyly, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, all the Christians are like, oh yeah, this is the living water passage. Living water back in the first century was running water. It was from a stream or a creek or a river. Water in a well was non-living water. It was stagnant. It just sat there. So she's thinking, living water is always better than non-living water, so awesome. She has no idea Jesus is like playing 
on something bigger. So he says, mysteriously, what are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? Well, if you know the gift of God and the one you're talking to, you'd have asked and I'd have given you living water. So she says, okay. Sir, now a little more respectful. She's gone, he's gone from being a Jew to sir. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, no bowl, no jar, no nothing, and the well is deep. Where can you get living water? Duh. Are you greater than Jacob who made this well? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What? Still not making any sense. So for Jesus, living water is the work of God in people that brings about eternal life. For her, living water is just a running spring. She still hasn't got it yet, nor would have we. So she says, sir, give me that water so I don't get thirsty and have to come here in the middle of the day. Right? Yes. I'll take it. Oh, now Jesus, go and get your husband, he says. I have no husband, she replies. And then very famously, she says, you are right. Or he says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you are now with or the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. What? Now, in the first century, everybody wanted to marry a virgin. Okay, it was a religious obligation to be a virgin, and it was a religious obligation to marry a virgin. In the first century, in Samaria and in uh, Israel, women could never initiate divorce. Only rich Roman women could initiate the divorce. So that means she's been put away, as that was how it was expressed, by five different men. Now we don't know if she was the one who was immoral. All we know is once you've been put away once, you're no longer a virgin, and none of the upstanding Roman or Samaritans or Jewish citizens are going to want any, have anything to do with you let alone when you've been put away two or three or four or five times. I mean, this is absurd. And the fact that she's living with a guy who's not her husband, so not only has, is, is the cultural judgment on her, she's scuzzy, a failure, she can't keep a husband, it's, it's awful, but now she's in, living in immorality. So she's a Samaritan, she's a woman, she's been divorced five times and shacking up with guy number six. But as it turns out, guy number seven, he's pretty cool. So he says to her, go and get your husband. Well, sir, I don't have a husband. Correct. In fact, you've been married five times. Now, how terrifying. You're at a well with a strange guy. He's Jewish, and he looks at you and tells you your greatest sins. Right there. So she changes the subject. <laughs> sir, verse 19. I can see you are a prophet. Let's talk theology. <laughs> Our ancestors, the Samaritans, worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. 
But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. That's been a source of animosity for generations between the two groups. So, hey, let me get your take on this theological question. Woman, and the word here is very affectionate. Like, dear woman. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father God, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. And here I am. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true, worshipers, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. He lets her change the subject. He treats her as a serious theological student. And he, Jesus here, we don't have time to explore, gives the most profound teaching on worship he'd given anywhere to this woman. who had. I mean, it's unbelievable the dignity he has bestowed upon her by answering the question this way. He is so amazing. She says, I know the Messiah called Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. We can all agree. And his middle initial is not H. Okay, so <laughs> Jesus of Nazareth. And Christ is a title, which means anointed winner Messiah. I know that the Messiah, when the Messiah comes... He will explain everything to us. And then Jesus, in John's account, this, this is the first person who finds out Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, the phrase, I am he, the I am of that phrase is the Greek rendering of the Hebrew in Exodus 3 where God himself gives the divine name to Moses. And if you didn't follow all that because you're not real familiar with the Old Testament, Jesus here is not just claiming to be Messiah, he's claiming a, a, a whole bunch more. The, the God of Israel is making a personal appearance on planet Earth, is the idea. And that this woman is the first one to find out. Oh my goodness. Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you want? No, that's a very Jewish way of asking, do you want us to get rid of her? They would never ask that and shame the other person in a very Middle Eastern way. Do you want us to do anything for you, Jesus? And nor did they ask right here, why are you talking with her, which would have shamed Jesus in front of her. So they just kept silent, even though they were shocked. Then leaving her water jar, she didn't even take the jar back with her. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Now notice the progression. First, he was a Jew. Then he was a sir. Now I think you're a prophet. But now, this could be the Messiah. And why does she think that? Here's the big point. Because he knew everything about her and he didn't run. He knew everything about her, and he stayed right there. He knew everything about her, and he bestowed upon her dignity. He knew everything about her, and unlike all the other men and all the other religious people, this, this rabbi had to go through Samaria for this one woman. And the most unlikely evangelist, the most unlikely missionary, when in the world, when in the world would it ever be good news to have someone look at you and know everything you've ever done? 
See, if you run into a Pharisee, it's bad news. You run into a lot of modern church folk, it's bad news. When you run under Jesus of Nazareth, who knows the truth, there's no hiding. None of us have it together. None of us are worthy. None of us have, are exempt from the darkness that pollutes everything. And yet he looks, and he doesn't see her behavior. He sees her thirst. Now, do you see the difference? See, we know what it's like to be thirsty, don't we? Because Jesus is doing this beautiful thing where he's trading on the double meanings of thirst and water. So, on the one hand, they're at a well where there's physical water, and there's a difference between water that's stagnant and living water. And so he's trading on that for a while. But all the while, there's a double meaning attached to living water, which is the gift of God in the spirit of people who are open that now brings about flourishing and eternal life. And there's a thirst that sat behind the woman's physical thirst, correct? See, here's the difference between Jesus and religion. Jesus doesn't see behavior. Jesus sees thirst. Religion just stops at behavior. So religion says, well, you're this or you're that, and you do this and you do that. Okay, and maybe all of those things are true. But none of that brings about redemption. So what's Jesus do? How does he communicate with this woman who's so incredibly thirsty, but she thinks it's only for physical water? Go get me your husband. Go get me the one area of your life that is shrouded in darkness, shrouded in shame, shrouded in condemnation. You bring me that. You bring it to me. Without condemnation, I know everything about I already know it. But go bring me that. Go bring me that piece of darkness, that piece of death, that piece of numbness. Bring me your insecurity and your jealousy and your anger and your rage and your sexuality. Bring me the whole polluted and rotten package. I already know it. And what you're going to find when you bring it to me is not a shred of condemnation, but rather the gift of living water to those who are thirsty. Because Jesus isn't looking at people who are acting or not acting, is looking for people who are thirsty. And as it turns out, we all are. It just looks all differently, correct? And, and, and thirst in the Bible is this beautiful metaphor of trying to find life and worth and meaning and significance apart from the source of those things. And so in the Bible, salvation isn't, hey, Jesus died, so here's your ticket to heaven. Salvation in the Bible is so much bigger than that. It's the restoration of the significance, the worth, the love that we were supposed to have had all along. The problem is we're used to drinking other water. Right? So we're used to finding life and glimpses and moments of satisfaction from other wells. And so Jesus comes and to expose her real thirst, not her physical thirst, but her deep thirst. Go bring me your husband. That peace that is shame-filled. That peace that you'd never tell anybody. The secret thoughts that even your significant others don't know. Bring me that. Jesus insists when he meets us that he not leave us undone and still thirsty. But there's a part we play. And that's the bringing of our thirst, our real thirst. Not our thirst for religiousness, our thirst for sex, our thirst for money. Our, 
it, it's, it's all of those things we bring to him and we say, yep, they're all just symptoms of the larger thirst. And what Jesus begins to do is he meets, he blesses, he forgives, he restores, and then he invites us to lay down. In the Bible, it's called repentance. It's, it's an ugly, it's turned into an ugly word, but it's a beautiful invitation to lay down all of the false things that say they'll satisfy and pick up the one thing that truly does. And so that's the invitation. If you're here and you're a Jesus follower, where's Jesus going to lead you? Well, he's going to take you to Samaria. If you are serious about following him, he's never going to leave you just along the well-worn, comfortable paths. No, he's got to go to Samaria. So he's going to go where it's messy. He's going to go where it's dark. He's going to go where it's confusing. He's going to go where, are you sure this is allowed? He's going to go where other religious people will judge. If Jesus obeyed the religious and social taboos of his day, this woman would never have met him. And so the invitation is out of fidelity and love for this Jesus and out of allegiance to him, he takes us to the darkest places of our world. That's why we must talk about sexuality. We must talk about race. We must talk about poverty. We must talk about the ugly places that so often we want to keep proper and religiously cliched. And so Jesus invites people, if you want to follow him, this is where he takes you. But some of you are in Samaria and you're wondering if you ever could be found. And the thing that is so meaningful to me is I know what it's like to be in that awful space. I know the darkness of feeling like you're untouchable and unclean. I know what it's like to have received judgment. And I also know what it's like to find somebody who knows all that you've done and somehow that turns out to be good news. And I know what it's like to now try to live laying down all of the false ways of satisfying thirst. I'm still tempted by them. And then the ongoing process in life of repentance, putting them aside to pick up what really satisfies. And when we say Jesus really satisfies, I, I want to particularly talk to you that aren't huge fans of this whole thing. We're not saying that your problems go away, and we're not saying that the struggles disappear. What we are saying is that the longer you walk in an identity and in a relationship with this Jesus, the more what used to satisfy you isn't attractive and what you thought you could never want becomes seriously beautiful. And that is the gracious process of what it means to follow. So some of us, we followers, he takes us to Samaria. We want to keep our boxes nice and clean. We want to keep everything in its place. You Christian, non-Christian, you know, all the labels. Ah, Jesus plays by none of them. He, just, he is a dismisser of labels. And if you follow him, he'll take you into relationships. And you won't have the foggiest idea what to do. You'll just be sitting there going, Jesus, help me. Help me show how beautiful you are. That's all I got. And then some of you are in Samaria. You're in that place. And we're never going to guilt. We're never going to compel. We just invite that there is a man who knows everything you've done. 
And that turns out to be really good news. There is such a thing as redemption and rescue. And that's what we celebrate. So close your eyes if you would. You don't have to. If you want to watch me pray, it's very compelling. (laughs) Oh, Jesus, I literally am the chief of sinners. I am the biggest sinner in this room, literally and metaphorically. And I am one of those who has tasted of your goodness, and I receive again this undeniable grace and promise of the Lord Jesus that whoever is thirsty can come and receive this water of eternal life. And Lord, I I pray for my fellow uh, followers of Jesus that we would lay down the emphasis on religious propriety and pick up Jesus' ruthless and scandalous willingness to go into the dark places and the confusing places. And for those that are in Samaria right now, Father, I pray that they would get a glimpse of how beautiful you are. Because I'm sure there are a few of us here who are absolutely terrified that the, that, that the, the wrath is coming, the, uh, the judgment and condemnation, you're just waiting to put your foot down. And yet who we meet in Jesus is so above and beyond that. And so, Father, would you call us home, call us back? So we bless you and we love you. So we're going to sing a couple of songs. You're more than welcome to sing, not sing. And then we're going to come back. We're going to hear a story from Bonnie, sweet Bonnie. And then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. So if you want to stand great and sing, if you don't, that's just fine. Busy. This is Bonnie. You remember Bonnie? So Bonnie is a fellow podcaster. Uh, Bonnie is uh, a teacher of the scriptures. And she taught here a couple weeks ago and will teach again hopefully many times. Uh, But I wanted her to share a bit of her story. We have a huge value for storytelling uh, here in our community and stories that aren't always polished and and finished. Uh, But for people to know what it's like to be in Samaria and to know what it's not to be like in Samaria, even though we go back and forth sometimes. So um, I asked Bonnie to share her story and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Hello, I'm Bonnie, as he said. (laughs) And um, hello, Bonnie. And um, I struggle with following religion and not Jesus. Um, I got that from you. Oh. I switched up my line. You did. I, like you, it. I was inspired. I like it. Thank you. Um, What's that mean? I'm going to tell you. Um, I have always been a people pleaser, but to like the millionth degree. I grew up in a home that was really loving really full of grace. I never felt like I needed to please my parents. So I'm still unsure as to kind of where that bent come, like came from, but um, it was always there for me, whether it be in school or with friends or teachers or grades, like that was always. And then like it was different for me too, because like I wasn't really the best at anything. So um, I didn't ever like achieve it in any way. So that was helpful. So it just sort of like perpetuated it. Um, And like I was in, grew up in the church and then involved in um, wildlife and young life um, in middle school. Oh, it's young life. I literally have never heard of it. Oh, you haven't? It's young life, but from middle school. Okay. And um, which is like an outreach program. Wildlife. Wildlife, but W-Y-L, young life, get it. And it's okay. And um, so 
I went to camp and like sort of started learning about a relationship with Jesus. And so um, I started just doing what you should do and like was really goal oriented on like, I have to read the Bible this much and I have to pray this much. And it really started developing um, kind of like OCD tendencies. And I look back um, at like journals I had, like prayer journals. And um, this sounds so silly, but for a middle schooler, like you're, and even not, I guess now, really trapped. Um, Like when I would write things down or like write amen, I had this like compulsion that if I didn't write it perfectly, I had to like start over and rewrite it. Like I couldn't have any screw ups. So um, I know. So there's like pages of like the same thing being written. And um, that just sort of stayed there and then sort of just progressed as I got older and grew grew up and in high school, it turned into an eating disorder. Um, I just, I never felt pressure from like a society standpoint that I needed to look a certain way. It was just, it was me and feeling like pressure on myself that I wasn't doing my best or like doing what I could. And that also turned into control issues. So, um, you know, a lot of OCD is about um, anxiety and it's also about control. And so that was something that I could control. Um, Calories in, calories out was like something I could wrap my mind around. So um, when I was in high school, I got down to um, like a really scary low weight and just like my body wasn't functioning well. I had a lot of health problems and um, it was, it was really, it was bad, but I um, hit it and I like the best I could, I guess. And then that summer I went on a Young Life um, camping trip. We're on the camping trip and like it was one of the best things that happened to me because we sat down, we were hiking like six or seven miles a day and we were hiking and the guide said like, okay, we're going to have dinner. And I said, oh, I'm not that hungry, which now I like can't even imagine that. Um, and she's like, well, I'm sorry, but you're not allowed to go on until you eat all your food. And like, if there was one thing scarier than eating, it was like being alone. So I ate and um, I realized, oh, I started to have a different perspective on food and realized this can be good for me and this can give me strength and this can give me energy. And so the next year was my senior year and I did better, but um, it was still still really tough and still really hard. And I went on the same camping trip the next year and actually had to be air-vacked out uh, because of health problems, which by the way, people still talk about it. I met a young life leader (laughs) the other day and she's like, I heard this story that one time someone had to be air-vacked. It's me. (laughs) She's like, what? I thought it was a legend. No, Uh, that was me. Um, So um, then I went to college, and at college I uh, joined the cross country team. I was always a runner. I've always been a runner, and um, it was a a freedom being away from parents that I um, sort of embraced, just in a way that was healthy for me to almost prove to myself that I could make wise choices. And so I started to do that. I got, I found a new community. I started to get involved. And I made better choices with my eating, but as most um, addictions go, you sort of, if you don't deal with it, you can kind of place it in another realm. And so it went back to my relationship with the Lord, and I um, just still became really obsessed with following the rules and doing the right thing and sort of controlling it. And I made up this terrible theology in my head 
that A plus B equals C. So if I follow the rules here and I do these right things, then my life will be blessed and good. And um, I really lived by that. And that was really, really tough. It's really hard to keep up with that. It's really hard to believe that about yourself. But I would never say that about anyone else. Um, and so I went into seminary because that felt like the right thing to do. And God loves you more. He does. You learn Greek. I didn't even take Greek. Oh! Uh, anyways, um, and so I did take Greek. It was just, it's a long story. Um, I felt I need to tell you that. Um, thanks a lot. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, so anyways, and um, that was, seminary was really hard for me. It was uh, these like nine-week stints where I felt like I had to figure out exactly what the answer was to whatever it is we were talking about, and I had to know what I thought, and it would be that way forever, and I couldn't change it. So um, seminary was not a time of like freedom and coming into my gifts. It was a time of like stressed out and anxiety, mm. plus um, a lot of criticism for being a woman. So seminary was great. Except for where it wasn't, and that was really hard. Um, but out of that, um, I really learned what it meant to be. It's like a whole thing. I just cry a lot. Um, what it meant to be brave, even when I just felt like I was up against everything. I couldn't decide on anything. I didn't know. I still don't know what I think about most things. <laughs> um, but God just continually loved me and I was up against a lot about being a woman but I just felt like this was where right. the Lord had me and so I just proceeded anyway yeah. and that was huge come on that's huge um, oh thanks <laughs> um, and then um, right as I was or I got married in the middle of seminary so you can imagine what that was like for my mm. husband. <laughs> um, and um, right as I was ending seminary, we got pregnant with my son, Chip. And um, that took on like a whole new weird realm. Gosh, this is like, you guys are like, I can't believe you found one thread. <laughs> um, because I had a lot of pressure then of like, well, now you're, you're a mom and you can't be anything else. And we got a lot of criticism. And you got to be perfect. Yes. So that's a whole thing, um, but we got a lot of criticism too of, um, my husband did, of, well, you guys, um, like, obviously aren't living, like, a marriage that's pleasing to God because Bonnie is, had a degree, so she knows more about the Bible than you do, and it just caused this unsettledness about wanting to do anything with stuff I was passionate about and I was gifted in and like even go to church. I just was like, I don't want to be a part of this. And I honestly like, I'm doing the best I can here, but it doesn't feel like God's meeting me at any of these places. Mm. And um, everything kind of came to a head um, within a year and a half time span. We, um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. We got black mold poisoning. Um, because of the black mold poisoning, I injured my back and was paralyzed for nine months. We moved to Denver 
Didn't have any friends, was really lonely. Um, couldn't exercise, which was like always my go-to therapy. And um, got pregnant and had a stillborn. So it was like this year, um, which just felt like I gave you all this and I did all these things and you gave me this. Mm. And um, it was really hard, it really hurt. Um, but it was a huge turning point for me because I learned to get out of bed every day, mm. even when I didn't feel like it. That's right. And um, I also learned what it means for God to be um, there, to be empathetic. And my view of God really changed. Instead of a God being um, waiting for me to do certain things, I realized that he was just there. And that he wept with me and he, he just didn't care if I said things to him. And he was there anyway. And um, I really began to question and realize, like, wait a minute, maybe God didn't cause all this horrible stuff. Maybe he's just as upset, if not more, about it than I am. And so I started to experience a little bit more freedom in exploring Jesus as a person and reading the Gospels with that in mind and reading Scripture in a way of that he wasn't keeping track, but that just he was there and um, he was there to bring freedom and to bring life. And so um, that was huge. It was the hardest thing we've ever been through. And um, one of turning out still to be one of the most beautiful um, mm. because of what God did with it. Yeah. And that was three years ago in February. And so since that point, um, I've been to a lot of therapy, which has been helpful. You should all go. Even if you don't think you should, you should go. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if healthy people should be the first to go. Um, so um, I'm into that. And it's really opened up a new world of um, freedom for my husband and I. And we just, um, we're just not living in like this straitjacket where God's going to come out and get us or we have to do these certain things anymore. Um, but it's still a work in progress. It's That's still right. hard for me to be a woman who is brave. It's still hard for me to um, step out. It's hard for me to um, do things that resemble that hard time in our life. Mm -hmm. It's um, a challenge to remember um, that God sees me and that he hears me. And um, our biggest act of bravery in the past uh, little bit here is that we decided that um, God didn't cause those terrible things and that God sees us and he hears us. And so um, we tried and now I'm pregnant. What? Which is why I'm like, just like crying all no, the time. No, no, you were crying before. <laughs> Don't blame it on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. How'd that happen? I don't know. Oh. As I shared last time, still confusing. Um, but that's and, a huge step of faith. Yeah, because what it feels like is like, this is going to happen again. And how do I know that it's not? And, and right. we had this moment where we just said, well, it might. But the difference is, is now we know that that's not God punishing. And we also know that... Come on. Um, Come on. Come on. He saw us through it once. And if it happens again, he will see us through again. That's right. So we will, we will make it. 
So um, that's really exciting. Um, but it's um, it's an ongoing uh, challenge. I think it's I didn't being the people pleaser is still tough for me. Um, I I didn't picture starting to have bravery and like speak and write and podcast like talking about things that were unpopular I pictured like I don't know like those devotions with like the flowers <laughs> stuff. still need those we still need those we still do but they're not going to come from me no, I don't think no, no, it's all right. so um, that's a challenge for me um, but it's an act of obedience to say like God just saying like this is how I love my people and it's okay if you're not loved in the process because um, together we're going to make my kingdom beautiful and so that's um, exciting and it's nerve-wracking and it's an ongoing process that like we still deal with fears but now we just say them out loud and we st I still deal with perfectionism but now I just call it out when I see it and I just do my best every day but I know that when I fail which is a lot God is is there and he's not punishing and he's not waiting to get me so amen thank you Bonnie come on come here oh, so proud of you so proud of you huh sure or if you want to stay you can stay you can sing together so one of the I mean I'm just a, I'm such a, a fan of Bonnie and um one of the things her story brings to mind is one of the false wells that we drink from is the well of religion. And, uh, and ironically, the, the people that were most open to Jesus were the very immoral people uh, because they knew the emptiness of their wells. But it was the religious people, the religious perfectionists, the religious control freaks, the religious folks who had a view of God that said you had to earn and climb and strive. They had the hardest time with the beauty of Jesus. And, um, and so Samaria can look religious too. And so today what we do um, is we take the bread and we take the cup wherever we are. Um, one of the things that I, I love that Bonnie said is uh, the fact that God is present. What do we say to our kids, parents? What do you say to your kids when they wake up in the middle of the night and they're scared? You say, I'm here. Yeah, go back to sleep, thank you. That's why we need therapy for you. Okay, I'm just making a profound religious point, and I don't care what your dream was. Good parents will, will say that, and then maybe something, I, I love Jody. I, I we know each other, so don't be horrified. I think she was feeling defensive on your behalf. What I say, uh, is don't worry, I'm right here. I'm right here. You come sleep with us. We're here. Like presence matters in those moments. And, and part of what the bread and the cup are pictures of are presence. That, that God isn't absent or unconcerned. And they're also pictures of grace. That there is no formula. That God sees thirst more than he sees anything. So for those of you that are thirsty, the table's open. And we take bread and we dip it into the cup. And the New Testament teaching is that that's the picture, the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little different today. Um, as soon as Bonnie and I go off the stage, Izzy's going to sing a song over us. So just sit and receive this. Then she'll invite you and you can 
worship in any number of ways. The, the table and then gluten-free is where? Always over there. And then, and then um, if you, if you want to participate uh, financially, there are participation boxes around. And then we also have people like Carolyn. Carolyn, where are you? Uh, and Carrie, who they, they come and they just stand next to the stations, and they're just available to pray for anybody. And um, one of the, the deep ways that we worship God is by admitting need. And one of the things we didn't explore with Jesus is how Jesus ministers to other people by needing help. So he sat at the well without a way to get water so that he could break the taboo. And so for some of us, we stand in our weakness together. And there's something very powerful about that. So uh, I'm going to pray. And then Izzy, sing over us. And then she'll invite us all to worship uh, in response. All right? Bonnie, why don't you pray over us? But make sure you do it in the right way. Because <laughs> we're all, you know. Safe to belong. <laughs> oh, man. Jesus, thank you so much um, for your willingness to love, um, that it's your pleasure to know everything about us right. and to meet us and to love us. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your gentle, gentle guidance, Lord. We love you. We're grateful for your table. We're grateful for your redemption. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We, we could keep going, but children's ministry would kill us. So we got us. They would, says David Robles. Um, hey, uh, we are so glad you're here. Why don't we stand together as we go? And there's this whole family of like, how many, three families of 18 people that's sitting here or something like this? So who, okay, who's the, old, who's the oldest guy here? Is that you right here? How old are you? No, don't say, ever say that. How, how old is she? She's 83. Come on, 83. Let's go. And you are? 82. Oh, yeah, you, she's got you by a mile for sure. Hey, welcome. We're glad you're here. A um, couple of things. If you want to fill out an info card, there are cards out there. You can do that online. Give us feedback. Love each other. Um, let's hear for cool bass players. Like a little funk. It's awesome. All right, so uh, I want to pray for us as we go. Bless you. And um, I think that's all we got. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you, be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. May he see you. May you know that you are seen and that you are heard, that he is present with you. And most of all, may he give you in these days, may he give you peace. Amen. Amen. Go in grace and truth. See you next time, brothers and sisters. Say hello. Unless you're an introvert, then run. Run. Thanks for listening to the Box Community Podcast. Participate in the Box community at boxoc.com slash participate.